Let's read from James chapter 2 and reading from verse 14 to 26. And I'm reading in the New International Version. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Do you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in, in, in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And this is God's precious word. Well, good morning, everyone. Hasn't it been a great series? I certainly enjoyed it. Look, for those who are, who are visiting, who are new, uh, just a reminder that there is a creche there uh, for children under three, and you're most welcome to be there and, uh, and make yourself comfortable. And for children that are older than three, there's a children's program, and if you go out the, the front door there, the, the door just behind you, and turn to the right, um, you'll find that as well. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you that uh, you bring us here together. And Lord, you bring us by the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. And you bring us together by faith. And Lord, there is so much to discover as we do that. Amen. Well, today, James 2, 14 to 26. And in my Bible, I, I look in there and, and it says, this section is titled, Faith and Works. But I often hear people talking about faith or works, as though it's somehow competitive, as though faith is somehow versus works. Now, this portion of scripture, I'm sure you're aware, is a very favorite battleground for various aspects of the church. And we have people who, uh, perhaps from the, uh, the conservative side and perhaps from the liberal side, and I'm not going to debate what, who is right here, but what I'm observing is that there is a battleground here. 
And over the years, the perhaps conservatives have championed, have faith, and maybe they have failed to emphasize do good works. While the liberals on the other side have often championed do good to everyone, and perhaps have forgotten to mention that we need to have faith. And those who have promoted the doing good aspect as a priority have sometimes thought that doing good was perhaps a path to salvation, which I have to say it isn't. And so it's not surprising that some people try to pit uh, Apostle Paul, who speaks very forcefully about faith, against James, who we're reading today, who talks very strongly about the type of faith that we should have. And as I read this section, I, it became, I, be, I became very aware that this is James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. The writer James was one of Jesus' brothers. And in John 7, 3 to 5, we are told that his brothers, and presumably including James, did not believe in him. And John 7 says this, Jesus' brothers said to him, this is to Jesus, leave Galilee, that's our home territory, and go to Judea, so that your disciples there, in brackets not here, among us, may see your great works, and no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. And I was reminded that just as Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, in Matthew 4, Jesus' brothers were tempting him to make personal fame and worldly success, his goal. And I'm sure you know the story of that in Matthew 4, 8 to 10, where Satan said to Jesus, look, I'll give you everything, if only you will bow down to me. And Jesus, of course, responded, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Personal fame and worldly success were not Jesus' mission. His goals were to serve his Father and only him. In the midst of their unbelieving mindset, Jesus' brothers saw Jesus' works. How would you have liked to have been there in those days of Jesus' earthly ministry and personally seen the wonderful things that he did. Well, they saw that, and yet they had no faith. Incredible, literally incredible. And if James was among them, and he probably was, he also saw Jesus' works but had no faith. As I come to think of it, Satan tries to tempt us to seek importance and worldly success, doesn't he? He wants us to be self-important, and to make a name for ourselves. Because if we focus on self-importance, then the sin of pride will come, and it will lead us away from serving God. This was the very thing that drove Satan out of heaven. And here, in the letter of James, 
we see James, who is now the pastor of a church in Jerusalem. And he, the pastor, who came from this position of non-belief, he's reflecting on works. Works such as those that he had seen outworked by his brother, Jesus. And clearly at the time that, uh, of, of the section of Matthew 12 that we see in verses 46 to 49, James, if he was there, had still not resolved the connection between faith on the one hand and works on the other. We see that in the midst of a miracle, a work, James, if he was there, had over, been overlooked by his brother Jesus for other people who did have faith. And I'm sure you'll remember that story as well from Matthew 12, 46, 49. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brother are standing outside waiting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. I wonder if you had been part of that family who had arrived at the periphery of Jesus's ministry, knowing that this man this brother, this son in your family was becoming more important. How would you have felt? Jesus was a well-known, a growingly well-known miracle worker and he identified himself with the crowd who believed rather than you, his family. What would your response have been? Moving on to another section. In James, it then goes on to talk about generosity. Now, in the Old Testament, clearly, it teaches that God is a God of mercy, from Deuteronomy 4, 31, and that he commands people to act the same way, in Micah 6, 8, and Zechariah 7 to 9. And in the New Testament, we hear Jesus say in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in showing mercy to others, they are exhibiting the character of God. Well, now we hear James calling on believers to exhibit generosity. This is a primary work that he wants them to do. Why is that? Because he wants to see the exhibition of God's love being poured out. But James is not simply urging Christians to give, and sometimes we end there. He wants them to exhibit a right attitude, not just simply a right action. And so we get a sense here of where James' full message is heading. And in James, in, in, in uh, James 2.14, uh, he points to the nonsense of saying to someone, you be blessed and, and, and keep, keep warm and, and be well fed, but then not actually doing anything about it, not helping them.
Their behaviour does not exhibit the character of God. And James says this kind of prayer, if you like, you know, where we, we say, be blessed, keep warm, be well fed, etc. He says, this is useless. We may believe that God loves the poor, but if we do not care for them, our faith is dead. And then he goes on to talk about this battleground that I mentioned earlier. I get the area that talks about faith and works and salvation. And James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And to add emphasis, he says, can such a faith save him? And the way James structures his letter, it highlights the fact that this is about faith. He has sometimes been squashed into uh, the usefulness of people to say, well, this is about works. But you see, he is emphasizing faith. The sentence, structurally, starts with the most important thing in the language that he originally talked. And faith is the first thing. And his letter is the similar structure. The way James structures his letter highlights that his concern is faith in action. Now, some people, as I've said, have, have claimed that James and Paul disagree with each other about the way to salvation. Paul stresses the complete sufficiency of faith. We maintain, he says, that a man is justified by faith apart from the observation of the law in Romans 3.28. James, on the other hand, claims that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, James 2.24. But there's actually more in this when we look a little deeper. Three things I think we should observe. Firstly, Paul and James are addressing different problems. You see, Paul is combating a reliance on legalism for salvation. And James is combating an underemphasis on good works. And in James' context, people had turned faith into simply, you know, a set of rules. Simply a set of rules. And that is that they believed the right thing but it was not changing the way that they had lived. Secondly, Paul claims that a person can be saved on the basis of, of the law is, is speaking about the things, the works that precede salvation. Whereas James is talking about works that stem from and flow from and are produced by faith. They follow conversion. And it's very important to understand this, isn't it? And thirdly, when Paul and James talk about being justified, justification, they are also talking about slightly different things. They use a word, diaku, justify, but they're referring to different aspects of that same word. For Paul, the word is all about being transformed, the transformation that occurs when a person is transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And for James, the word refers to, it's like it's a legal verdict. You know, you've watched on TV where we're waiting for a jury to come out and decide. It's like a legal verdict based on evidence. 
And since a person in this context has already obtained salvation, what it is is, in fact, God declares this person to be right with him. That is, the fact of faith will lead to the evidence of good works. The fact of faith leads to the evidence of good works. Now, James never says that doing lots of good stuff will lead to salvation. And he also never says good works achieve anything apart from faith. Note what he says in James 2.14. He says, not by faith alone. Very key word there. He does not say, good works will save you. He says, can such an impoverished faith save him? And the obvious answer is no. A person's works are significant only in relation to their faith. And James comes to the conclusion that if someone claims to have faith, but there is no evidence of it, then they are either lying or they're deluded. They're strong words, aren't they? Their so-called faith counts for nothing, he says. And why? Because the faith doesn't have any fruits. It's like a tree that hasn't borne any, any fruit. There's something wrong. Okay, so to bring these two things together, while Paul is looking at the beginning of the Christian life, James is looking at the end. Paul makes it clear that it's only by faith that we can enter into a saving relationship with God. And James teaches that once that relationship is established, good works will flow from being that way. It's interesting also to look at the words that are used for, for faith and works. The word that, that uh, James used for faith is a word called pistis. It's a, personal, a, personal, excuse me, a personification of good faith, trust and reliability. It was about honesty and harmony among people. And it was also later on a method of persuasion. And so we, we see reflected in Acts 18.4, it says, Every Sabbath he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade. And in five, uh, Corinthians 5.11, Since then we know what it is to fear God. We try to persuade others. It's a rhetorical technique. And this was about getting people to make a right decision. Let's turn to works. James uses another word called ergon. And ergon does not mean, it doesn't mean effort. It doesn't mean trying hard. It doesn't mean doing stuff or being extremely busy in the hope of someday perhaps being saved. It literally means energy to accomplish a task. It's a word that has the very end in mind. So when James talks about faith and works, in regard to works, he's talking about something that not only flows from faith, 
but also things that we will do as a believer that has the end in mind. And that's consistent with the whole letter that James writes, I think you'll find, which regularly urges its readers to consider how they live in the light of the end times. And two other aspects to mention here. We might ask ourselves, so what kind of works is he talking about? And we see him link a couple of words together. In one place there and, and beyond, he says, ergon dynamai. And that's the same word that we get energized and dynamic and dynamite from. And in the New Testament, it is used of the works of the Holy Spirit, which are, as you know, described as dynamic and powerful. The Bible tells us that Jesus did many miracles or works by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus replicate his ministry of dynamic works among his followers. It says, for example, in Matthew 10.1, Jesus gave his disciples authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. <coughs> disease and, sickness. and we see this even more clearly in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit, dunamis or dynamite, is given permanently to the followers of Jesus. Why was that given? Well, to keep them safe to reassure them, to equip them, but also, more especially, to equip them to do works that will lead to faith, from faith, from the fa their faith, to faith. And as I, as I read that, I thought, well, Jesus said that to his early disciples. He wanted them to, to take on the ministry that he had imparted to them. And we too, are called to do things that are in the will of God and in the power of God. And this kind of works is evidence of an authentic faith and a spiritual energized works. I'm reminded of Ephesians 2.10 which says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. And Philippians 2.13, where it says, For it is God who works in you. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you feel the flow of God's guidance? God who works in you. To do what? To will and to act in order to fulfill his God his good purpose. And I think of Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, which could almost be like a summary of what we've said. And it says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
In effect, James is asking a rhetorical question. He's asking, can your faith, if it lacks empowerment and the working of the Holy Spirit, bring wholeness? Can it bring shalom? Can it bring wellness? Can it bring the goodness that God can bring in our lives and to others and through us to others? And 2 Corinthians advises us, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Let's think again of James, the writer. You see, James is a living example that we can be face to face with truth and even mingling with believers and yet not have faith. We can be part of the family around us of faith, where faith exists, and still not yet understand what's going on. And that's what James was in, that situation. And he comes to understand, and he's lived it himself, that the skeptic can become a very powerful believer and God exposes empty claims to having faith as he did in James' life. And our self-satisfied do-goodism or even the things that we do out of guilt can be replaced by this ergon dynamite, spirit-directed actions that reflect God himself. And not everything has to be a huge, miraculous thing. But what I'm saying is that even in the small things, let's submit ourselves to God and look to live out spirit-directed actions that reflect God himself. And secondly, Enegeo works. That is, things that have the end in mind. And specifically, I'm thinking of the mission of the church to bring people to Christ. So let's pray. Father God, we invite you into our lives. Take control. May our faith be more than just mere moralistic doing good. We heard the warning about being shallow. Save us, please, from being shallow. May all of our striving be replaced by good works that flow so naturally and genuinely, empowered by faith. And then we will know you in all your goodness, and we will reflect your glory in a struggling world. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. And while we're singing this last song, uh, can the stewards ask the offering bag, man, please? Forgot that.